Welcome to Heritage Tree, where we talk about heritage care and development for people and organizations. And now to our host, Dr. Dina Michelle Roscoe. King David says in Psalm 57, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you, and in the shadow of your wings I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. What else do you say in moments of life that feel a torment, that seem to not end, that shatter you, and who is left to pick up the pieces? Today we're going to talk about grace, but first, as always, let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for giving us life in a moment in between the chaos and joys and challenges of our lives to think about you and feel in a moment connected to one another. We pray that these words be some kind of salve, some kind of encouragement to our listeners, and thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We talk in previous episodes about King David. He was anointed at a young age, and yet for much of his adult life, pursued and challenged and tormented by, in his words, his enemies, Even his own child, even his own king hurt him, even his own, it says in one psalm, friend betrayed him. Out of Psalm 56, be merciful to me, O God, for man would swallow me up, fighting all day he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. He recognizes the headship of God over all. And in his Psalms, what's so amazing is he laments. He spends so much of them lamenting his pain. And yet he concludes with a word of trust. Psalm 56, verse 3, Whenever I'm afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, have I put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And then he goes on to explain all the things that flesh can do to him. All day long they twist my word. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps when they lie in wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? Shall they escape by their own sin and anger cast down the peoples, O God? You number my waterings. You put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know, because God is for me. In God I will praise his word. In the Lord I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? As it turns out, even in his own words, man can do a lot. And then he says, Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Praying earnest prayers for deliverance, whether it be from illness, from a job change, a job loss, a a fear of some kind of loss, doesn't always work out in this life. And what I find so precious about the words here for King David, he says he believes 
God has delivered my soul from death. Other translations say, I will be confident that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Yet what of us who remain in this land of the living, who have lost someone we love? What of them? Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. King David wrote those words too. And he says here in Psalm 56 that God puts our tears in a bottle, that he records them as a ledger, as a accounting of our lives. And thinking of that, that there will be a day of payback for every tear you cry is an investment. Every tear cried is a validation, a validation of love. Fast forward many generations in 1 John Chapters 3 and 4, describing God as the God of love. And this answers so many of King David's laments. Perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with judgment, and the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Today we're talking about grace and grief, because grief is a work. Under the current of any emotion, and with grief, you feel many different things, sometimes all at once it seems or one after another, that it's a lack of peace to just feel one emotion at a time. And it's a work, a real work. It's a work of pain, a work of tolerance of pain, of pushing out those thresholds of pain through your day, physically, emotionally, as you're missing someone or something, mentally, as you're trying to keep your mind on track, or at least in the out of the gutter rails, <laughs> keeping it in one spot at a time. I'm not ruminating, not getting lost in those ruminations. It's not a feat that can be acquired alone. Any emotion that surfaces is a marking. It marks what matters. It marks what matters and so validates. God's system, it validates the love of God that you love somebody, that there was something that you appreciated in your life that you held dear, someone that you held precious, somewhere you wanted to go or be in life that is not yet here. Or life won't ever be the same again. When shattered, where can you go? Who can you be? How can you even move forward or imagine a different life and maybe even? You don't want to. Grief is a work, and always remember, it is a labor of love. Grief is a validation. It validates God's will that not anyone should perish. Turn with me in an unlikely, an unlikely place, Second Samuel chapter 1. The report of Saul's death. Now Saul was the king appointed before King David, the first king of Israel, handsome and ahead of above, yet deeply troubled, deeply divided within himself, and is it any wonder his kingdom would be divided too during his reign? We bring who we are, for better or for worse, and all in between. On King Saul's coronation day, he hid behind the, la- the luggage. He did not want any, the day of his coronation, he's hiding behind the luggage. Handsome and ahead above, yet internally in turmoil. Plagued with an instability, a jealous rage that went back and forth, and that he needed the man of God 
who God anointed later, a child, King David, a shepherd, as the future king of Israel, basically hired him, if you will, required his service to play music to calm him down. For those of you who know the story well, he ends up becoming jealous of King David, who is not yet king yet, but has been anointed. And so what God anoints is as it is so, and pursues King David, pursues David, and then you have this kingdom split, this war. David even has a chance to take care of it in his own way, as a person, a human, a man. They're hiding in a cave, and King Saul comes in with his men, having pursued David, and takes a sleep. Kings David's men are like, hey, now's your chance. Why not just be done with it? Go and take him out. Instead, King David takes a piece of the robe and then hides again. Shall I stretch out my hand against God's anointed? We read in the Psalms of the trust of King David, the lament in his grief and his fear of being pursued. And he would grieve in his life the loss of a child, the loss of a precious baby. He would grieve in his life the loss of a grown child, Absalom, who would have pursued him. He grieved the loss of a friend who betrayed him. His right-hand man, Joab, the commander of his army, would be the very one who killed his son, Absalom. David was a man of sorrow, similar to how Jesus was described in Isaiah 53. And I bring this up because grace knows our limits. Because we serve a Savior who has suffered as we do in every way, yet he was without sin, he can help us. Grace respects the limits of our boundaries, of our capacity. Grace understands that we live in a traumatized, broken world, and anyone trying to tell you differently is selling something, overselling something, whether it's a product or an ideology. It is not true. We live in a suffering world. This is also a reminder of grace for us with each other. That if it hasn't happened yet, well, few of us escape mortality. Jesus was the only one, and yet he still had to die first before he rose again from the dead and raised 500 people on that day as well. He raised the daughter, the child, the young girl of a man who believed he could help him. He raised the son, the grown son of a widow, whose only child was this man whom she loved. And the reason he did it, what prompted him, was his compassion. So this is encouragement that we don't grieve alone, even if not now one day. This is a reminder, a gentle reminder to the rest of us to show grace to those who suffer, to avail ourselves a moment to show grace, to help them pick up and reclaim or redeem one piece of themselves that's been shattered. We're not to put it all back together as it was. It's not possible, not even desirable, because to do so would be as if what was didn't matter, and it does. The people we love and grieve today, the person we love, 
matters, still matters to us. And that love has the power to move us to be together and do what's hard. Better to go to a house of mourning, writes Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He's believed to be one of the wisest teachers. He says it's better to go to a house of mourning than to a house of laughter and revelry because we take it to heart. Emotions show what matters to our hearts. Even in pain, that validates. I'd be worried or concerned about myself or someone else if they didn't grieve a loss, if they didn't feel a righteous rage. Yet here we read in, in this chapter in Second Samuel chapter 1, after King David learns of the death of Saul later and his best friend Jonathan. Then David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son, and he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. Verse 23, Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. How the mighty have fallen in the midst of the battle. Jonathan was slain in your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of woman. How the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. How gracious King David was because he recognized something deeper and more universal than the moments of his distress and the details of them was that we all suffer loss. We all suffer grief. And it was never God's will that anyone suffer loss, grief, or death, that we suffer mortality, sickness, or suffering. The Apostle Paul reminds us later of this in the book of Ephesians. He says our weapons are not of this world. They are not of flesh and blood. They are the enemy, the spiritual forces in the heavenly realms. How could God have let this happen? Why could we not have prevailed. Yet King David takes the time to turn and lament, to grieve, to release his grief, not repress it. Imagine with me a river. In the city of Renton, there's our beautiful Cedar River, and it flows up from the mountains and down through the valley and into the watershed at the south end of Lake Washington. There are times in the winter when the rain is heavy and the wind is fierce that the river rises high and it splashes almost at war against itself, turns brown, and there have been times when it rose high over, several feet over, even the walkway next to it. Then in the heat of summer, the hottest we've had in Seattle area this past summer, over 113 degrees in some places even higher, The Cedar River, my son and I went down and stuck our feet in it and sat in it for a good part of the morning as a local air conditioning to help thermoregulate for the rest of the day. That river was not raging then. In fact, it was quite low. You could see the pebbles and rocks in some places, and other people had come down to do the same thing with their dogs and sat on the perch in a deeper spot 
in their swimsuits and hats with a drink in hand of some kind, laughing. Moments matter and moments are transient. Moments come and moments go. Water is water, even though the environment may rage against it or change to a more peaceful state. None is necessarily better than the other. It just is. We extend grace to ourselves in those moments because our emotions highlight what matters to us right on the top of the surface of the river, just like a leaf floating on the top, passing by, swirling, dipping under, coming back up again and moving along with the stream. There's a dangerous part of the river marked by some signs underneath an overpass, and you're hopefully on an inner tube. If you're going down the river in the summer, you go around that spot. Merriment and danger sometimes go together through no fault of our own. If we had known how things would have worked out, we would have not done things as we did. And yet even then, we still don't know the future, what the future holds, what random events may befall us. We are human. We are going through this experience together. Sometimes we just don't realize it, that we're a leaf bobbing on top of the river and there are other leaves around. Thank you for joining us. If you like what you heard, tip us at the link below and inquire, subscribe, and shop our merchandise label of Heritage Tree and Heritage at dinamichellerosco.com and dogwoodgroup.io. Come back again when we gather around the Heritage Tree.